the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, don't you understand that God will never, ever, ever stop searching? That's why he brought Israel, the nation of Israel, and through that nation, the Messiah would come, and then Jesus appears, and then he lives, and he dies, he's buried, he's resurrection, and right before he leaves, he commissions the church, and now we are a part of that task. And why are we all here? Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. He will never give up trying to redeem mankind. Hello again and welcome as we lift up Jesus with Pastor Dudley Rutherford. I'm Kyle Welch. If you've been searching for a place to be spiritually fed, you have found it. Like you, we believe the Holy Bible contains the spiritual nourishment we need to become faithful servants God requires to help grow His kingdom here on earth. This program is part of an outreach ministry from Shepherd Church located in Los Angeles, California. Our teaching pastor is Dudley Rutherford, and we join him right now with today's message. For the last 2,000 years, we have been living in the age of the church. And what I want you to see today is that you are a part of this grand story. All that happened with Israel, all that happened with Jesus... And then after Jesus ascends is the period of the church. What God began with Israel, what he accomplished through Christ, he continues with the church. You're a part of the story. And all three phases have one underlying truth. I want you to write this down. God never stops looking for his lost children. That's what the entire story is about. God trying to redeem mankind. Now, if you had a child, and Lord forbid, that child went missing, would you ever give up looking for that child? I mean, let's say after two days, you looked everywhere you could find, you can't find a boy anywhere, and so the third day, you go, honey, we've looked for two days, we're not going to find him. Is that what you're going to do? Or you look for two months, for two months, you look everywhere, posters everywhere, my child is missing. And at the end of two months, you go, well, that's it. We can't afford any more of these little posters. That's it. Let's just give up on them. Is that what you're going to do? How about after 10 years? Would you ever give up looking? Well, don't you understand that God will never, ever, ever stop searching? That's why he brought Israel, the nation of Israel. And through that nation, the Messiah would come. And then Jesus appears. And then he lives and he dies. He's buried. He's resurrection. And right before he leaves... He commissions the church, and now we are a part of that task. And why are we all here? Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. He will never give up trying to redeem mankind. Turn to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. The church begins in Acts 1 and 2. And in your outline, I've written down four things that take place before I read uh, the Scripture. One is after the 40 days on this earth, we have what's called the ascension. Everyone say ascension. 
where Jesus goes back to heaven. And then the disciples are in Jerusalem, and there's a prayer meeting. And it starts out with 120 people. The Bible says they were united in prayer. Then the Holy Spirit falls, and then Peter stands up and preaches what's called the very first sermon. First sermon ever preached on this side of the cross. And then the church begins, Acts chapter 1 and 2. But I want to read to you the ascension, Look, at, beginning with verse 3, Acts 1 verse 3. It says, after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs. You remember Thomas? Thomas said, I'm not going to believe unless I see the, the nail-scarred hands. And so he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive, and he appeared to them over a period of how long? People always say, how do you know he was on earth for 40 days? Because that's what the Bible says. He was on earth for 40 days, and he spoke about the kingdom of God. Verse 4, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem. And I don't have time to read it, but if you skip over to verse 13 and 14, they do exactly what he asked. They stay in Jerusalem, and they wait. And what are they waiting for? Well, look again. It says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They still think that he's a military leader. Still haven't figured it out, even after the resurrection. So then he says in verse 7, It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has said by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses starting right here in this great city called Jerusalem, and you'll spread out through Judea and then Samaria and eventually to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. It's called the Ascension, but right before he leaves, he tells them to go to Jerusalem and wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit, and then you'll become my witnesses starting here in Jerusalem, but eventually it will go to the four corners of the world. May God bless the reading of the Word. You may be seated. I want you to flip over to chapter 2. And just a couple quick things. All of this, as you look at verse 1, took place on the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost was one of three festivals every year where every Jewish person in the world had to go to Jerusalem. We believe on this particular day, when you get to Acts chapter 2, there could be as many as 2 million Jewish people in the city of Jerusalem. If you go over to verse 14, you have a man named Peter. This is the same guy a few weeks ago we looked at there that uh, the Lord predicted that he would deny him three times, and Peter swore that he would never deny the Lord, that he would be willing to die. And yet that night, uh, Peter cursed and denied the Lord three times, and the rooster crowed. It's the same Peter. What's the difference between Peter here in Acts chapter 2 and the one we saw earlier? Well, because the Holy Spirit falls. And the Holy Spirit fell, as you read through the first portion of Acts chapter 2, exactly as Jesus had predicted. Go to Jerusalem and wait. The Holy Spirit falls. Peter stands up, and he begins to preach with great boldness. And I want you to write this down, Roman number one, in your notes. We have what's called the delivery of a sermon. We have the first sermon ever preached on this side of the cross. 
One of the common elements of a church is that there's a preacher or a teacher proclaiming. There's all different kinds of styles of preaching. Some are conversational, some are inspirational, some preach with notes, some preach with no notes, and some preach like Bishop Morton. Amen, amen, amen. But there's four things about this sermon that all sermons should follow. Number one, it was scriptural. He quotes, uh, beginning with Joel chapter 2. It's, again, it's all one long story. He goes all the way back and he quotes to begin his sermon. He's got a text uh, from Joel chapter 2. The second thing that I want you to note is that this sermon is suggestive. I think all sermons should be leading you somewhere. And of course, uh, Peter says in Acts chapter 2 verse 21, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be what? will be saved. I, th- I think there's something wrong with a preacher who preaches a sermon, and somewhere in that sermon, there's not an invitation for lost people to get saved. Preaching, yes, it'll make you smart if you listen to it. Yes, you'll learn more about the Bible. That's a good thing. You'll, you'll become better educated about what's in the Bible. Now, that's all good. But preaching eventually should lead a person to salvation. Can someone say Amen. And number three, this sermon is about the Savior, uh, beginning in verse 22 all the way down to verse 35. The largest portion of this sermon talks about Jesus. Go to verse 29. He says, now he's lifting up Jesus. He's, He's talking about Jesus, but he uses David as an illustration. He says, brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is where? In other words, he's saying David is still in his tomb. Look at verse 30. But David was a prophet. Now again, he's going all the way back to the Old Testament. He he was a prophet and he knew, David knew that God had promised him, and we looked at this months ago, where God promised David that one of his ancestors would always rule on Israel's throne. Remember that promise? So Peter reminds the Jewish audience of that truth. Look look again at verse 30. He was a prophet. He knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Verse 31, seeing what was ahead, David spoke of the resurrection of the Christ. Now, is this possible that all the way back in the Old Testament that David prophesied the resurrection of Jesus Christ? You say, where in the world was that prophesied? Well, all you've got to do is read your Bible. In Psalm chapter 16, verses 8 through 11, David prophesies that Jesus Christ would resurrect. It's all the way back in the Old Testament. In fact, Peter quotes it right here in verse 31, seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ. Then here it is, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. And verse 32, God had raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of this what? Fact. Now, I love that verse because no one stands up and interrupts him. I mean, he's just said David is over here in this tomb. Right there he is. And then he goes, and we're all witnesses of the fact that Jesus is no longer in his tomb. And that's true. They were all, remember that 40 days? For 40 days, he went around and showed himself that he was, he was resurrected from the dead. Someone would have stood up and said, hey, that's not true. He, he's still over there in Joseph of Arimathea in the tomb. The, the stone is still in front. But no one stood up and interrupted him when he said, we are all witnesses of this fact. 
And to me, that gives proof. It's one of the proofs that I know that Jesus Christ actually did resurrect from the grave. And then I want you to write this down. Uh, this is the fourth thing under the sermon. He gets straight to the point. This is the conclusion of his sermon. The whole sermon takes two minutes. And then you have verse 36 where he says, therefore. Anytime you're reading the Bible and you see the word therefore, you always ask yourself this question as someone who's studying the Bible. You ask, what is the therefore, therefore? You have to ask yourself that question. So he's been preaching this scriptural sermon about the Savior. He's calling people to salvation. And then he says, here's his last line, therefore, let all, say the word all, let all Israel, let me tell you, they're all there. It's the day of Pentecost. They're all there. Two million of them are there. Let all of Israel be assured of this, that God has made this Jesus, whom you, who you crucified, the man that you crucified is no ordinary man. Then he uses two words. He is both Lord and Christ. Write this down. The word Lord is in the New Testament 500 times. It's a word that means that he's master, that he's ruler, that he's in charge, that he's the boss, that he's in the control tower. He's the king of all kings. He's the Lord of all lords. And Christ is not, some people think Christ is his last name, like his name is Jesus Christ. Jesus is his first name, Christ is his second name. No, Christ is a title. It's Jesus the Christ. And the word Christ means the anointed one. He's the chosen one. He's the Son of God. He is the Messiah. And what he's saying is that the man that you crucified, that he is the fulfillment of all that Old Testament Scripture, that some of it he just used in Joel and also there in Psalm chapter 16. So he says the man that you crucified is both the Lord of all, he's the Lord of all lords, and he's the anointed one. And then you come to verse... 37. When the people heard this, the Bible says they were cut to the heart. Say cut to the heart. I did a little research on that phrase. It's a Greek word. It's only used twice in the whole Bible. It literally means to take a saw and cut something in two. Some translations actually say uh, instead of cut to the heart, it says to saw asunder. Some versions of the Bible say that. It means to have your heart ripped in two, is what it means. It's not just, oh, I'm a little, I'm a little emotional about this, forgive me. I think I'm starting to tear up a little bit. Jesus died on that cross. Oh, oh I feel kind of bad. I oh, kind of feel bad about that. Oh, hope, hope he's okay. No. The word cut to the heart means to have your heart literally ripped into. When they heard that the man that their sins had partially been responsible for murdering, the Bible says that their hearts were literally torn in two. You know the only other place we see that word used in the whole New Testament is a few chapters later when talking about Stephen, who's the first Christian martyr, and they, they stone him to death. And the Bible says that right before he stoned uh, Stephen to death, which we'll get to in another week or so, it, it says that Stephen began to preach a sermon, just like Peter preached a sermon. And Stephen's sermon is just as good as Peter's. But when Stephen preached uh, the sermon, the Bible says that the listeners to his sermon, that their heart, is, but that uses the word furious, 
their hearts were cut in two, but instead of responding, they rejected and they threw stones and they killed the listener. So it's interesting. The only two times you see this heart torn is some people who accept the story and some people who reject the story. And my prayer for you today, as you read the Bible and as you listen to the sermon, that your heart is torn in two to accept Jesus Christ. And the people cried out, what shall we do? They were so burdened. They knew that the Messiah had now been killed. They knew that their sins had partially been responsible. They also knew that what had been done could never be undone. So they cry out, what shall we do? Have you ever cried out in the midst of your sin, your heart was so broken and torn because you were living in disobedience that you literally cried out to God, God, what is it you want me to do? I saw it today in the earlier service. I saw people just crying as they came forward because they, 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 want, to, they want to have that right relationship with God. Amen? So then, uh, go to verse uh, 38. Peter answers this question. What shall we do? Peter responds when they said, what shall we do? Peter said, you've got to do two things for two reasons. The two things that he said you have to do in verse 38, number one, you've got to what? You've got to repent. And number two, you need to do what? Those two things he, want, he said you've got to do. And the word repent means that you are living away from God. It just means that you turn your life to God. You're going to turn away from sin. You're going to turn away from self. And you're going to turn to God. Okay? That, that's repentance. And then he said, I, I want you to be baptized. And baptism is that moment that you proclaim, that you believe that Jesus died, you believe that he was buried, and you believe that he was resurrected. When you get in that water, you're standing there, I believe he died. I believe he was buried, and I believe he resurrected. You're also dying to yourself. I want to die. We bury the old you, and it's the new you being, uh, when you come out of that water, it's a picture of the new you. And so when the people cried out, what shall we do? Peter said, repent and be baptized. Now, who's supposed to do that? Half of you? Does it say half of you? Those of you that feel like it? Those of you that want to? What's the Bible say? Repent and be baptized, every one of you. In the, whose name? In the name of who? In the name of Jesus. And then two things. Here are the two things that happen. Number one, your sins will be what? Forgiven. Your sins will be forgiven. And the, then he says that this Holy Spirit that fell in Acts chapter 2, that he's actually going to give you, I've got a gift. And the gift is you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He cried out, what shall we do? Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, that you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then you come to verse 39. The promise. What promise? The promise of your sins being forgiven. The promise of being saved. The promise of the fact that you can receive the Holy Spirit. He said, this promise is for you. It's for your children your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, your great-great-grandchildren, your great-great-great-great-grandchildren, and for all who are far off. He's talking about you and me. And so then verse 40. Now, I told you the sermon was only two minutes long, and that's correct, but the invitation was much longer. Because verse 40 says, with many, say the word many. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them. He said, save yourselves from what? From this corrupt generation. Don't you see that Peter could stand up here today and preach this exact same sermon? And at the end of his sermon, 
He could call all of you to come to repentance and to be baptized and to call upon the name of the Lord. And he would call all of us to, he would warn, say, he could say the same, save yourselves from this corrupt generation because we're living in a corrupt generation. So the sermon is just uh, applicable for us. Verse 41, those who accepted his message were baptized. And how many people were added to the, to the number that day? 3,000 people. Now watch this. They all, 3,000, all repented. They all were baptized. I, I, they're, all, they're all believers. They wouldn't, have, they wouldn't have responded if they were not believers. So they're all believers. They're all repentant. They're all baptized. They're all cleansed. They've all had their sins forgiven, and they all had the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then we come to the third point. Write this down, the third point. The devotion of the saved. Look at verse 42. First, what's the first word of verse 42? They. Who's they? Turn to your neighbor and say, who's they? Say, who's they? Who's they? They are the 3,000. Repentant, immersed, cleansed, spirit-filled people. What's the second word of verse 42? They devoted. They devoted themselves to four things. It's in the text. Number one is the apostles' teaching which is the Word of God, in case you don't know. The Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul wrote half of the New Testament. So these 3,000 people, they devoted themselves to the studying of the Apostles' teaching. Number two, they had fellowship, uh, real koinonia. They, they truly cared for one another. Number three is the breaking of bread, or what we know as communion. And number four is they prayed. The church was born in prayer, and they continued to pray. This is a, what we call a New Testament church. We don't have a regional headquarter. There's not a state headquarter. There's not a national headquarter. There's not a world headquarters. We are governed simply by this book. And this church, we want, we want to devote ourselves to the same four things they devoted themselves when the church began, to the teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And that's why we're here today. And I just wanted you to see that you are a part of the story of God's plan to redeem mankind. Let's stand. Let's stand and bow our heads. It's a blessing for us to bring this program to you every day. We exist only by our faithful partners who support us through their prayers and financial gifts. If Pastor Dudley's message has been a blessing to you, we would like to encourage you to consider joining in partnership with us so we can continue to be here every day to bless others with this important ministry. Your gifts, whether large or small, are greatly appreciated and go directly to help keep us on the air. You can find out more about supporting us by calling our toll-free number, 888-818-4777. That number again is 888-818-4777. 4777. We have operators standing by and ready to take your call. You can also support us by going to our website, liftupjesus.com forward slash reach. That address again is liftupjesus.com forward slash and then the word reach. Wouldn't it be great if there were accessible answers to our spiritual problems? Just like there's a smartphone app for calculating a tip or getting directions to a local store. Most of us have heard the phrase, there's an app for that, popularized by the creators of the iPhone. Well, God has an app for the common problems faced by Christians everywhere. Are you stressed out? God has an app for that. Problem with crude language or gossip? 
struggling with prejudice, brokenhearted, anxious, or depressed? God has an app for that too. Pastor Dudley's book, God Has an App for That, is available now for a gift of any size to the Lift Up Jesus ministry. This helpful resource can be yours right now by calling our toll-free number, 888-818-4777. That number again is 888-818-4777. You can also get God Has an App for That on our website, liftupjesus.com. That address again is liftupjesus.com. Come and explore the book of James and discover God's user-friendly solutions for some of the biggest challenges we all face daily. Get your copy of Pastor Dudley's book, God Has an App for That, today. Hi, this is Pastor Dudley, and I want to invite you to Shepherd Church for our annual 4th of July Spectacular. We'll have fireworks starting at 9 o'clock p.m. Bring family and friends and enjoy an evening of fireworks and fun. Visit shepherdchurch.com to learn more about our 4th of July celebration. Can't wait to see you at our annual 4th of July Spectacular. I'm Kyle Welch. We invite you to join us every weekday at this time when we again lift up Jesus with Pastor Dudley. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.